You're listening to Football Philosophy and Rocket Science, a Cleveland Browns podcast, a show where a philosopher and a rocket scientist try to make sense of the Cleveland Browns. The Football Philosophy and Rocket Science podcast is a part of the Fanatical Elves podcast network, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Elliot Kennel and Joel Cade. Hi, and welcome to Football Philosophy and Rocket Science. He is the left guard, Dr. Joel Cade, philosophy professor at the left guard. I'm the Village Elliot at TH Village Elliot. Together, we hope to offer unique perspectives on the hardest game in the universe, other than nuclear war, I guess, NFL football, and the strangest team to ever attempt to play at the Cleveland Browns. We do not claim to be the best analysts in the land, nor do we claim to follow the best team in football, but we are absolutely unique. Joel really is a PhD in philosophy, and I really am a former Air Force specialist in space power and propulsion at beautiful Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, home of the deadliest fighting force in the world. Well, today we're going to talk about what we learned about the Cleveland Browns from the draft. You all know who the Browns picked, and we won't belabor the ins and outs of their skills that much, but we are going to talk about what it implies about what the Browns are doing and what their master plan is going forward, what it says about their offensive philosophy. We're also going to talk about the quarterback situation for the Browns and how it compares to one of their chief rivals, the Baltimore Ravens, the big, bad Baltimore Ravens, Boom. and how the Browns are gambling on Deshaun Watson, but uh, Eric DaCosta, the general manager of the Baltimore Ravens, is gambling almost equally as much on Lamar Jackson, and how does that compare? And then we'll get into the draft and some of the interesting uh, aspects of the draft that Joel and I picked up on and we'll share with you as we go on. Uh, let's talk about uh, the quarterback situation, Joel. Uh, which quarterback is overpaid and why? And how are we going to look at this situation? The, the buzz is that uh, Deshaun Watson is vastly overpaid and uh, not worth the money. And depending on how you look at it, you could argue either side of that, I suppose. And we can say the same thing about Lamar Jackson. I, if, I'm going to jump my lid. I just think Lamar ahead. Jackson's overpaid. Lamar Jackson's overpaid. You know, he held out for all that time to get those guaranteed dollars and get that highest annual salary, which, Elliot, you know as much as I do, the highest annual value for your contract means absolutely nothing in the NFL. Absolutely nothing. So you can have a five-year, $260 million contract, make $5 million, million more over five years, a.k.a. $1 million more a year than Jalen Hurts. And it, it, the annual value doesn't really matter. I mean, is it really all that different? The guaranteed dollars are what's important. That's what the team has to pay you. And he's not making but $5 million more than Jalen Hurts. So if you're Lamar Jackson and you've held out for all this time, what did you actually win? Not much. <laughs> Not much. So I think the Ravens are taking a gamble given that they're changing the entire offense. I've never heard of a team have the same quarterback and go from one drastically run-centered offense to a, a equally dramatic pass-centered offense 
over the course of one off season. It's insane. Well, you know, the Ravens kind of remind me of the Cleveland Browns and that they're sort of like Jekyll and Hyde where the, the Ravens at one year, they're saying, you know, we're going to have this, this run based offense. That's totally unlike any other NFL offense. We're going to run, run, run the ball. And we don't care whether it's out of sync with what the rest of the NFL does. We're going to be the outlier. And then they say, you know what? We're going to change everything, and we're going to have Deshaun uh, – not Deshaun Watson. We're going to have Lamar Jackson uh, become a pocket passer. We're going to change gears, and we're going to have a pocket passer offense with Lamar Jackson becoming the pocket passer. And they switch back and forth like that. And I think it's crazy. But uh, I, don't, I don't think they're really gambling on him being a pocket passer. They're bringing in Todd Monken. And you guys, Browns fans, remember Todd Monken oh, from the my. Baker Mayfield days, right? The only time that Baker Mayfield was actually any decent as a quarterback was when Todd Monken was around. And they ran this air raid style offense. And, you know, not to get too much into too much nitty gritty, but the air raid style offense is like passing offense for dummies. Instead of reading defenses, you're reading offensive players. You you see what the offensive player is doing, and then you react to what they're doing. The quarterback watches the receiver, watches where they get open, and then delivers them the ball. That's what the Ravens are going toward. So if you have this kind of like crib sheet, cheat run game, a lot of read option kind of runs, you've kind of got the same thing going on on offense with the crib sheet, cheat, offense that you know the cardinals ran with kyler murley for all those years not much success for them in arizona now they're going to try it in in baltimore well you know what though uh, let me lay this on you uh, if you look at the resources that the ravens spent on the draft on wide receivers in uh, recent seasons they drafted a whole bunch of wide receivers uh, in 2021 uh, Rashad Bateman in the first round then they drafted uh, Tylen Wallace in the fourth round that same season they drafted um, uh, Devin Duvernay who I really love by the way and in 2020 in the third round they drafted uh, James Proche in 2020 in the sixth round they drafted Marquise Brown in 2019 in the first round. And uh, they drafted Miles Boykin in 2019 in the third round. So they were uh, uh, drafting uh, uh, first-round wide receivers like crazy. Uh, and, and I'm sure Mel Kuyper gave them an A-plus in every draft. <laughs> yeah, they did. And, and then, then you, you have know, to were... ask yourself, if, if they got all these A-plus drafts, why do they keep – why do they keep drafting wide receivers? Yeah, and then they were trading away uh, their stud offensive linemen, remember, in, in order to bring in more uh, wide receiving help in the form of uh, free agents. They drafted Sammy Watson and or, or assigned Sammy Watson as a free agent, and they did stuff like that. And uh, then um, more recently, they turned that around and they decided, you know, we really shouldn't do that. Let's Why don't we? instead start drafting offensive linemen again. And so they're, they're kind of a, uh, you know, a Jekyll and Hyde kind of personality that way. And I think, I think they're, I think they're trying to transition to a passing offense because they realize that I, a couple things. And, and I think 
they're taking a big chance with Lamar Jackson for this reason. Everyone saw Lamar Jackson play in a pro-style offense in college, and pretty much everyone wanted him to play wide receiver after watching him do that. Okay, so the Ravens drafted him, and they said, let's find a gadget offense that is countercultural to the NFL, and they ran it for four years. Why is four years important? Because four years is what it takes for every team to see every other team in the NFL. Between the way the schedules are run, the way the NFC plays against the AFC, now every team has seen it. And in that four years, the NFL has caught up to Lamar Jackson's speed. Now everyone has somebody not as dynamic as Lamar Jackson, but someone who can run fast as a quarterback. Teams that want to do that kind of stuff. So the other teams, namely the Browns, the Bengals, the the Steelers, they have to all adjust to this, and they now have smaller, faster linebackers who can chase down Lamar Jackson. So that running style offense, it's done. They know it's done. So now they've got to do something else. But they have a quarterback that they're not confident in that can sit back in the pass, sit back in the pocket, and throw a pro-style offense so you do the next best thing you get as many wide receivers as you can and you run an air raid offense out there and you hope that the receivers have enough talent to beat the corners to get open so Lamar Jackson can throw them the ball because you're not scheming them open in this system you're asking people receivers to beat corners one-on-one and get open yeah we'll see we'll see how that works I I I used to think that the Ravens drafted the best year after year after year. I no longer feel that way. You're not drinking the Mel Kuiper Kool-Aid right now? <laughs> I'm not drinking the Eric DaCosta Kool-Aid right now. I'm more intimidated <laughs> by the Bengals and the Steelers at this point than the Ravens. Uh, but before we leave that topic, I would like to make a prediction that uh, we don't know at press time what Lamar Jackson's cap hit is going to be. We do know that uh, Deshaun Watson, I think he's like uh, $18 million this season, which is very reasonable, somewhere like in the middle of the pack in terms of the amount of money that the Browns are getting a cap hit for. He's not hes not getting paid $50 million cap hit this season. Correct. They will have to pay something down the road. Uh, they have the option uh, potentially to – restructure his, con- his con- <clears throat> contract again next season. As long as he continues to have good years and everybody's happy, it's all good. They can keep on extending him and defer uh, the uh, um, the bills uh, another year down the road. Eventually they have to pay, but it may not be for quite some time because he's still a young man. Uh, but I would venture to say that uh, Lamar Jackson – also, despite his so-called highest contract uh, in the NFL, <laughs> going to have a first-year discount, mm-hmm. and it probably come in uh, at about the NFL average for the first year, and it'll go up from there. Right. But the first year of this season, they're not going to be constrained by the quarterback salary. It's going to be very reasonable. We don't know yeah, what the before is. the. Before the uh, extension, they were looking at a thirty-two million cap hit because of the. Yeah, uh, that really hurts if you have to. Mm-hmm. If you have because to, of the tag, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. So they were eager to get him out of the tag, and I'm sure he was eager to save face after, you know, the NFL owners. Let's just call it what it is. Successfully colluded against the quarterback market, and prevented long, prevented uh, fully guaranteed contracts. But 
I don't know. I think if you're talking about gambling on success, I think another topic you brought up there was this investment in wide receivers. You see a lot of teams just trying to load up on wide receivers. The Bengals, as you mentioned, were really the first team to start doing this in the AFC North when they had a couple good wide receivers in a good wide receiver room, and then they went after Jamar Chase, making their wide receiver room a spectacular room. You saw this with the Arizona Cardinals when they went to that air raid offense. They just started to try to load up on wide receivers and, and see what they can do, just make it all straight passing. You know, so the Browns, I think, are starting to come down this road. At least they're throwing a lot of resources at that wide receiver room at the same time that, you know, the all the other teams are starting to do that. Now that they think, okay, we've got a quarterback who can play from the pocket, who can run RPOs, who can hit wide receivers down the field accurately, let's throw as many wide receivers at it as we can. So what do you think, Elliot? Are they Are they going after receivers? Do you think that's the trend? Yeah, I think that what we're seeing from this draft is that the Browns have decided that they are going to go all out to provide Deshaun Watson a pass-friendly offense or they're going to die trying. Uh, They always say that, uh, oh, we're going to draft the best player available uh, no matter what position he plays, and uh, that's a total lie. And the reason is, is that you always have the option to uh, trade up or trade down so that, for example, let's say that you have a all pro center and it turns out that the best player available when it's your turn is a center. Well, okay, so draft out of that position and, and then draft somebody else when it's your turn the next time. So you have control over that. Uh, the Browns decided that they were going to make a high-risk selection, uh, draft a wide receiver, uh, which they did. And um, they also, by the way, traded uh, um, draft picks in order that uh, they could uh, trade for Elijah Moore from the New York Jets. So he's essentially a top draft pick given that the Browns did not have a number mm-hmm. one draft pick this season. <clears throat> so they came away. Let me, with, let me say uh, something philosophically here. I mean, let's talk about the philosophy of putting together a wide receiver room. Okay. I think it's a myth to think that wide receivers are all built the same and they're all doing the same thing. They're not. There are multiple roles in a wide receiver room for what they should be doing. You have the reliable, route runner that can always get open your number one guy who can have some speed but your number one doesn't always have to have speed they have to be the the first option we've got that guy right then you have to have the possession guy the guy when you need a first down they have the sure hands this is who you throw to we have that guy right we also need a role or the the team needs a role of a guy who's just really really fast and can just run down the field, and teams have to respect the fact that they're on the field, and they can go deep. Ideally, you would have two of these people, ideally, because then you could threaten both sides of the field, and teams can't stack up defensive backs on one side of the field to deal with the threat while you leave the possession receivers on the other side. So I think what the Browns are trying to do is construct a complete wide receiver room. You have your number one. You have your possession guy. You're getting Elijah Moore, who's one of your speed guys. You've got 
Anthony Schwartz, who's a speed guy. You can get Marquise Goodwin out there, who's historically been a speed guy. Now he's 32, I believe, and he's probably slowing down, so you can't throw him out there full time. He's going to have to be a third, fourth, maybe a fifth option. But when he's on the field, he's going to command the respect of the defense. And then you come back to Cedric uh, Tillman here. He's a big body guy with some speed that runs some good routes. You know, he's another big bodied possession kind of guy, although he has some speed and he has some good run um, route running ability. So I think there's a sense where you need to have a complete wide receiver room. And I think the Browns are trying to do that. Yeah, I, I think that that's so they're they're drafting. Um, they really did overdraft wide receivers. They're going to there's not enough room on a 53 player roster to accommodate all these guys. So I think that you are going to see them uh, cut some wide receivers that have guaranteed money on their contract. They're going to try to retain them on the practice squad, but they may not be able to. They may wind up signing with some other teams. I think they're willing to accept that. But one way or the other, they're wanting to wind up with uh, six or seven very talented wide receivers on the roster. They're, in other words, they're being very aggressive about seeking out the talent. Right. And they're willing to bleed a little bit financially in order to obtain those wide receivers. Yeah, because so, uh, that's kind of where it's going in the NFL right now. Yeah. The teams that have a quarterback need to have the threats and the options um, to, to succeed. Well, it's well, that time, Elliot, where we got to take a small break here. But after the break, we'll come back and we'll continue our wide receiver discussion. Plus, I believe we got a, a letter in the mail. So I'm going to have to check that out, um, see what that's about. Maybe we'll hit that up after the break. All right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back from the break here. Um, Elliot, did you want to continue talking about the wide receiver room? Oh, why don't you read some of our fan letters? I think that might be nice. All right. So it looks like we got a letter from Lamar Jackson's agent. Huh. Lamar Jackson's agent says, Dear Joel and Elliot, how dare you defame my client Lamar Jackson with your ignorant prattle about contracts? You obviously know nothing about contracts and salary caps. As Lamar Jackson's agent... I can assure you that his demands have long been reasonable and very modest, especially given that, especially given the fact that his skill set corresponds to the greatest of all time. Accordingly, I am proud to represent Lamar Jackson in his complex financial negotiations, which I am sure cannot interest your feeble brains. Yours truly, Lamar Jackson. Oof, that was really rough. But well, Lamar wait a minute. But but it was signed. Uh by Lamar Jackson, but he's representing Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has decided to represent himself in the NFL. Okay, so, so Lamar here's Jackson. Lamar, I'm thinking this is where Lamar Jackson acts as an agent in his client's best interest, which is him. 
So he's simultaneously acting as an agent in his own best interest. Okay, so he's that really makes him, you know, they say he's a dual threat because he can run and he can pass, but he's really then a triple threat because he can run, pass, and negotiate. Or he's a dual threat on the field and a dual financial threat off the field. I mean, do what? you think Lamar Jackson pays his agent 10%, 5%, whatever it is? Well, how would he do that? I don't know. But on the, on the one hand, he's acting as capacity of agent. On the other hand, he's acting in his own capacity. I just wonder if he pays his agent. Yeah, I don't know. That seems like it might violate it. There's very strict rules about how much you can pay your agent. So if he's getting paid the whole thing, I think that's a conflict of interest. I I don't get it. These well, Ravens, man, I don't understand these Ravens people at all. But, hey, thank you, Lamar Jackson, for writing in to protect your client, Lamar Jackson. And uh, if you would choose to give us some some education on the salary cap, I'm I'm more than willing to listen. Do you have any other letters you can read that make a little more sense? Uh, we did. We got a letter apparently from Will Levis's girlfriend, Gia Duddy. Is that her name? Gia yeah, Duddy? That's, that's her name. Yeah. Okay. Right. Read that one. Dear Joel and Elliot, how dare you guys make fun oh. of my boyfriend? You are just jealous because you can't play football worth a crap, and he can. Also, because of the draft, I got one thousand or excuse me, hundred and twenty thousand Twitter followers. How many have you got? See ya in Tennessee, suckers. Ciao, darlings. Gia Duddy. Well, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I've seen pictures of uh, Gia Duddy. It doesn't surprise me one little tiny bit that she got one hundred twenty thousand Twitter followers. Um, I I don't have a rebuttal. Uh, I. I I am so far out of the social game that I have no idea who this is, but I do know that our 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 fellow podcaster Steve was telling us that there's a lot of woohoo girls down there in Tennessee that uh, they show up to Nashville for the the weddings, the the bachelorette parties, oh. and they go down the street yelling woohoo. So I'm wondering if she's a woohoo girl. Well, I, I wouldn't say that. No, I wouldn't say she's that. not a woohoo girl. No, she's far beyond that. Trust me. Okay, well, somebody, uh, I want to look this person up. She's, uh, yeah, she's what is known as an influencer in her own right. And even if she was not Will Levis's girlfriend, she would be famous uh, in her own right. So, yeah, okay. she's. Uh, and I haven't heard one bit about who this is. So apparently I'm the one that. Yeah, isn't well, at the okay. times. Yeah, you're, you're, what can I tell you? You're getting <laughs> old. Uh, <laughs> But the, I, yeah, young I tell you what, when I was when I was young, I didn't know what was going on on TV or music either. So I I, I don't. It's because you were studying philosophy. So. I was too busy hanging out with Plato and Socrates and crap. So yeah, yeah, philosophy and football. Mm. <laughs> what else we got on the agenda today, Elliot? Well, okay, uh, yeah, I, I did want to talk about you know the risk factor of these wide receivers is that um, okay. You know they're they're not going for the uh, the easy we're talking about the Browns wide receivers, correct? Yeah, Browns just, wide just receivers. to catch us back up. Yeah, we're not talking about guys that can easily get a few yards. They'd rather take uh, several shots at getting a star rather than one sure thing that's going to be a so-so wide receiver and maybe get 
500 yards and, you know, not really be outstanding. Mm -hmm. I did have a graphic that I wanted to present on. Actually, this is, this is kind of a criticism that I'm also, I'm, I'm not a big advocate of uh, speed for the AFC North because I think it's much more important to be able to catch the ball in a snowstorm uh, rather than be able to run real fast. You, you know, you have to catch the ball before you can run. And um, let me see if I can sh- yeah, share. Well, once this. you get in the playoffs, though, man, you're going to have to be able to catch the ball and run. You are going to have the home field advantage. You're going to catch it in the Even snow. then, you're going to have to catch the ball and run. Yeah, run in the snow, though. I mean, it's like uh, baseball when they have those home run hitters. Every person's a home run hitter. You, know, you make one mistake, and you got to take advantage of it. So that's what the wide receivers are. You know, you beat the defense once and catch the ball and run it for a touchdown. That might be the only time you scored in the whole game. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to share some stats. Am I sharing? You're up, man. Might want to start the slideshow on that one, though. Okay. For those of you who are listening, the um, Elliot is showing us here a a stat sheet here that is comparing what looks to be Bengals wide receivers to Elijah Moore to Anthony Schwartz. Yeah, I, over I'm the last saying that the two uh, seasons. I'm saying that the Bengals wide receivers are sort of the reference standard for the NFL. Ah, they're the placebo right now. In this experiment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's hard currency that <laughs> they they would get maybe a thousand yards receiving and maybe throw in a hundred yards on the ground. So that's uh, 1100 yards. Um, let's see, let me get my cursor going here. So like 1100 yards, total yards from scrimmage. About 1.5 yards per snap. Uh, they um, every time that uh, Joe Burrow throws the ball at him on the average, they get about nine yards per target. That's a good number, and they come down with the ball about seventy percent of the time when they're targeted. So those are reasonable goals for a wide receiver league wide. I remember they got Joe Burrow throwing them the ball. So yeah, but other that might be different than there's a lot say, of quarterbacks that. Uh, throw to wide receivers and a lot of wide receivers that get a thousand yards uh, receiving. So that's, that's kind of a, a good reference, but it was, I would, I would dare to say that Joe Burrow is better than Zach Wilson. I'm just putting that out there. Well, yeah, there is no 1000 yard receiver on the jets that I can think of, but okay. But anyway, <laughs> let's just talk about what, what we've got going on here. Uh, Elijah Moore uh, had a decent year in 2021 um, he had 592 yards and uh, didn't take that many snaps. He played a little bit more than half a season. Mm-hmm. His catch percentage is not really that great, and his yards per target is not that high. So he wasn't so you're looking going at out and catch percentage. Bombs. Hold on, Alan. Let's read these out. You got a catch percentage of 55%, yeah. seven yards a target, about 1.2 yeah, yards. Yeah, he's short passes. Short passes, not bombs, okay? Right, okay. All right, Anthony Schwartz is kind of the same way. And um, 
you know, he's not coming down with it very often at all, only 43% of the time. That's his catch percentage. Yeah, down here is his catch percentage. And he's also not making uh, too many yards per target, six right. and five last year. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, though, is he did get some yards on the ground. And so his um, he's actually getting uh, some reasonable uh uh, yards from scrimmage mm-hmm. and uh, so he actually looks not that bad on paper because he got good rushing yards so right his, Anthony uh, Schwartz was that gadget player that probably Elijah Moore is going to do the same thing but go ahead Elliot what, yeah, so his, what, his are, you, what are you telling us with this chart so bring the okay. chart hold for, bring it home for us Elliot what's the All chart right, tell so us the point is is that that these these guys uh, you know Elijah Moore doesn't have a uh, uh, huge amount of evidence saying that he's going to be a, you know, like the thousand yard receiver that we hope he's going to be. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we in the uh, uh, Browns fan base, we thought, oh my gosh, we've got this superstar wide receiver. He's a four, three guy, but he didn't really catch that many deep passes when he was a jet. He didn't hang on to that many short passes. So I think the, um, you know, there's still a burden of proof that we need to, uh, you know, we need to find out about him. Uh, Mm -hmm. We haven't, we haven't seen everything that we need to see to really feel confident that he's going to be that breakout star. So I think we're taking a chance on him. He's not a sure thing. That's what I'm really trying to say. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, I guess to compare it to what you're looking at with a second round pick, what are you going to even get that out of a second round pick out of this year's NFL draft? And I'm not sure you're going to. So I do think that if you can corral some of his off the field issues, which if you haven't looked that up, you should. Um, yeah. If you no, can corral that. Go ahead, Elliot. Yeah. You're, you're taking like, um, uh, two bullets and you wanting to fire twice and seeing if you can hit the target once. It's not like this is a sure thing and we're going to have, you know, Cedric Tillman and he's going to be a sure thing. We're hoping Mm -hmm. that one out of the two might fill that role of the speedy wide receiver. And then, then there's, you know, maybe he'll come through, but it's not like any of these guys are really sure things. We're just going to really Mm -hmm. take chances and hope that some uh, guy comes through that we don't whiff on all three. That's really. I think if you have to look at the upside between, say, Elijah Moore and Anthony Schwartz, I'm going with Elijah Moore. He had a great catch percentage, from what I understand, in college. Now, maybe some of this catch percentage has to do with the fact that he has, you know, a Jets quarterback not named Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball to him, which fill in the blank who that could be. The, The quarterback play has been less than stellar over there in New York. Um, If you put him in the right spots, right? Like sounds like he and Anthony Schwartz have been used in a very similar way. Close to the wide receiver, close to the line of scrimmage, wide receiver screen, short passes, and let him use that speed to run. Browns need a guy like that. Need a guy like that who can actually do it. And Anthony Schwartz Mm -hmm. hasn't been that guy. So to, to give up a second round pick to grab that guy to me is a smart chance to take. I mean, it's all a crapshoot. 
You know that, right, Anthony? Yeah, yeah, we didn't or, actually. Right, Elliot, you know that's pick. what it is. We traded it for a third round pick, so it was not that much uh, draft capital uh, that we gave yeah, up. It, it makes no, me no. wonder what the Jets were trying to get rid of. We're we're uh, running out of time, but the one other comment I wanted to make is that we were talking about this before the show that Marquise Goodwin, although he didn't play that much for Seattle actually put up very strong numbers in the limited amount of time that he did spend on the field. Mm-hmm. And he's the guy that really uh, made the, the impressive uh, long gainers right. consistently. And right, right. Uh, so he he's... might really be the, the speed demon if he can uh, uh, kind of uh, work around father time somehow at the age of 32 <laughs> and still maintain his deep threat ability. He really had the the numbers to prove that he could fulfill that role. Right, right. And he's played the last couple of years in that Shanahan style offense, that wide zone kind of wide receiver offense, wide zone wide receiver two speed deep threat that opens up all the stuff underneath. And you only have to hit those guys once or twice a game for them to be effective. So mm-hmm. if he can run two deep routes and catch one or two of them and maybe run seven or eight of them, but catch or even get the ball thrown to him twice, he's successful. Mm-hmm. So you drag him on the field, you put him on a deep crosser or you put him on a fly route and throw it to him once in a while. And that's just enough to keep defenses honest. So, well, yeah. Elliot, I think that's going to wrap us up for today. So any parting shots? Yeah, we still have, we didn't even get a chance to talk about Isaiah Weston, who was the, Surprise of summer camp last year. We still have him. He's six foot four and runs a four four and caught everything, um, including COVID last year. He's nice, extremely fast, very physical. Um, the only thing that we can um, have against him is that he, he you know, one is he's twenty four years old and he got uh, injured last season. But man, did he look good last season! Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's going to wrap us up up for us. So, uh, everybody, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right. Thank you for listening to Football Philosophy and Rocket Science, a Cleveland Browns podcast. Please like, subscribe, and tell all your friends to give a listen. You can follow Joel on Twitter at The Left Guard and Elliot at The Village Elliot.